First Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to read from verse 1 to, uh, we'll see how far we go. We'll just start from verse 1 and see how far we go. Uh, and once again, we're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So here's what Paul was um, telling the church. Now concerning spiritual gifts or the things of the Spirit, brethren, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one says Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What I'm thinking we're going to do, we're going to take it phrase by phrase or a few verses like that. We're going to stop, break it down. And some of the verses we're going to take a long time to unfold. And some are just going to be uh, easy going through. So uh, Paul here is saying, I want to teach you about or talk to you about the things of the Spirit. Okay? And then he said, I don't want you to be uninformed. And then he said, remember back when you were pagans and you were worshiping idols? Remember these days? Know that no one speaking in the Spirit can say Jesus is accursed, except if you are speak, except when you speak in the Holy Spirit, you say Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? We're going to see when we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that whenever Paul says speaking in the Spirit, he's talking about speaking in tongues. Speaking in the Spirit or praying in the Spirit equal in the Bible, speaking in tongues or praying in tongues. We'll see that clearly when we, uh, next week when we go to chapter 14. Just trust me on it this week, okay? So when Paul was saying here, you know that you, when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, Okay. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So Paul was reminding them, apparently from that context, no proof for it, but apparently from that context is that when they were worshiping idols, they were also speaking in tongues, but it wasn't tongues under the Spirit of God. They were speaking in under the influence of evil spirit. And because of that, they were could have said when they're worshiping idols under the influence of wicked evil spirits that Jesus is accursed. But he's telling them now that you are under the Holy Spirit, not under evil or wicked spirit, no one, no one speaking in tongues or speaking in the spirit under the influence of the Holy Spirit can ever say Jesus is accursed, but always say Jesus is Lord. So whenever you're praying in tongues, he's telling them or speaking in tongues and speaking in the spirit, and you say, and you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you say Jesus is Lord. Verse 4. Now, there are variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Okay? Paul here is making a distinction between three different things. Verse 4 is different than the, verse 5 is different than verse 6. In verse 4, he says there are variety of gifts. In verse 5, he says there are variety of services. In verse 6, he says there are variety of activities or um, like actions that we do. He said that the gifts come from the Holy Spirit. We see that in verse 4. And then he said that the services comes from the Lord. That's the Lord Jesus. 
And then he says in verse 5 that the activities or the action come from God, and that's always reference to the Father. So the Greek word actually in these three different verses is actually different. So, for example, in verse 4, the word for gifts is the Greek word charisma. And it actually comes from the root word charis, which is in Greek grace. Okay? So when Paul was talking about gifts of the Spirit in verse 4, he's saying these are gifts based purely on the grace of God. These are pure, free gifts that you cannot earn, you cannot do it on your own. These are charismas from the Holy Spirit. Okay? When he came to verse 5, he's saying services. The Greek word here is diakonia, from which we get the, the word deacon. Servant, somebody who's serving us. So he's saying that there is also different kind of services, diakonia, and the source of these services is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 6, he said there are activities or effects. The words for that, the Greek word is um, energoma, from which we get the word energy. So it's like something that you actually put work into, something that required effort, and you actually get things done because there is effort, actual force or energy is put in it, and that is um, provided to us. These um, activities are given to us by God the Father. Questions? Good to go? All right. Now, this is kind of verses uh, 4, 5, and 6 kind of serve as the introduction. So Paul is saying there's different kind of activities, different kind of gifts. Each one is given by one member of the Trinity. And these three scriptures definitely implies the Trinity. It doesn't prove it. If I'm a Jehovah Witness, if I am a Jehovah Witness, I won't, argue, I won't buy this as these three are one. I believe it because I'm a Trinitarian and we all are. But if you don't believe, if you don't believe that, if you're not biased toward that, it's, this scripture only implies the Trinity but doesn't prove it, Okay. All right, so now Paul went to verse 7. And here is what he said. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This verse is absolutely key and essential to understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So let's just pause for one quick second here. Remember we said in verses 4, 5, and 6, Paul was referring to three different kinds of gifts that is given to us or blessings that were given to us. The first one was the gifts, the free gifts from the Holy Spirit. The second one is the services from Jesus. And the third one is the actual energy work that is given to us by the God the Father. Now he's going back to the number one that he mentioned in verse four. These are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse seven, to each is given the manifestation of that spirit. So who's giving this manifestation? Who? Who's giving these, who specifically in the Godhead is giving this manifestation in verse 7? The Holy Spirit. He says in verse 7, to each of us the manifestation of that Spirit for the coming good of the church. Okay? So now he's going back to what he touched base on in verse 4. When he said there is free gifts that based purely on the grace of God that is given to us by the Spirit. Now he's going back. And trying to elaborate on that and explain it more, expand on what he touched base on in verse 4. We're good? Okay, let's move forward. Now, this verse in itself has two essential fundamentals that we need to understand when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The very first fundamental thing that we need to understand. 
How many of us should have gifts of the Holy Spirit? Look at verse 7. So, when it comes to the free gifts of the Holy Spirit, the nine, the supernatural nine gifts that he touched base on later on that we're going to go through, he's saying that each one of us or all of us should have some of these gifts. Are we good with that? You know what that means? That means you go and need to seek your gift from God. God, which one is my gift? Every single one of these nine gifts are supernatural. None of them abides by the law of nature. They're all supernatural gifts. But, but, each one of these gifts, maybe one, maybe more than one, God wants how many of us to, to function in it? The pastor and the people on the staff and the church. Does it say that? No. How many people should have the gifts of, these Holy Spirit, for, of the Holy Spirit? Every one of us. That means you. That means you. That means me too. As a member of the body of Christ, each one of us has to have one or more of these gifts. Now, listen to me. The Bible is not a theory that we need to come and learn about on Sunday morning and then just put the information on the shelf. If this Bible is true, if God told us that each one of us should have one of these gifts of the Holy Spirit... I don't know about you. I want my gift of the Holy, from the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to let that go to waste. And I want to encourage you to diligently seek after these gifts. Amen? So you have to have something. This is not, um, God is not a mean daddy who want to just have some favorite kids. And he said, I'm going to bless this one because I like him with these gifts because they are cool and supernatural. But the rest of my children, I don't want them to have it. Amen? These are for all of us. Jude chapter 2, God said, I will pour out my spirit on the elites. Now, on who? On all flesh. Everybody will have something of the Holy Spirit. So that's rule number one when it comes to these gifts. It's for every single one of us. Pause. One second here. I'm just trying to get this through. There are... Wonderful gifts that God has given us, like the administration, okay? And Paul touched about that in verse 5 when he said there are services and there are different kind of efforts that was given to us by the Son and by the Father. And he will touch on that as well later on in chapter 12. So some of us are purely gifted, amazingly gifted. Sister Laura and the music, Barb and the administration and paying the bills that I don't know what, what there are. But, you know, Brother Wayne being a handyman. These are all great gifts, and these are gifts from God. And God is using these talents here to enhance the body and build his kingdom. Amen? But these are not. These are not what he was talking about here in verse 7. Okay? Remember, we made a distinction between verse 4, 5, and 6. In verse 4, we said there is the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, there is the services from the Lord Jesus. Verse uh, 4, 5, and 6 is the energy work from God the Father. So when Paul went back here to verse 7, he's not talking about administration or help or government or any sort of other public ministry that is desperately needed and wonderful gifts from God. He's talking about the supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit in verse 7. And he's saying that it's good to have the administration gift. It's good to have the handy gift. And this is all wonderful. But when it comes to the gifts, the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, you still should have a part of that. Amen? Amen. Okay. Now, 
This is the rule number one. Each one of us have to have a part of that uh, supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Rule number two, when it comes to the gifts, listen to this. This is very essential. He said that God has given gifts to each one of us, but what is the purpose? The rest of the verse, for the common good of all. I think King James or New King James says, for the edification of the church. So what is the purpose of these individual gifts that God will give each one of us? Edifying the body. So it's kind of like, he, he touched base on that, like the eye and the leg. Each one of us does something so that the whole body will function. It's the same thing when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Rule number one about the gifts of the Holy Spirit is that they are for each and every single one of us. Rule number two is they are to edify the body as a whole group, as, as a, a group of believers. These gifts are supposed to build us up, okay? Keep that in mind. Because when we talk about tongues, you're going to find that there's a difference there. I just want to give you some heads up or touch base about that next week. Tongues is the only one that Paul said about it in, in, in chapter 14 that you can edify yourself. Because Paul is making a distinction, and that's key. We'll touch base on that next week. But since we're in that verse right now, I want you to get that touch, and then we'll go back in detail for it. Tongues is the only one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit that Paul makes a distinction between using it privately and using it publicly. Using it privately as a prayer language and use it publicly as a gift, okay? When tongues function as a gift, what's the purpose of it? That's when somebody gives a message in tongue and somebody gives the interpretation. The, gift, the purpose of it is edifying that body. Because all the gifts are supposed to edify the body. Are we clear? Are we good? Okay. So every single gift of the nine gifts that God has given us is supposed to edify not the individual, but the body. If it doesn't build the church as a whole, it is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. It might be something else. We'll look into that. But it is not one of these nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Clear? Move on? Okay. So that's verse 7. Let me just... Before we go on, in verse 8 after that, he starts um, naming these gifts. We're going to touch base on what is this gift, and we'll give you examples so we understand what is this gift. But before we move on, let me give you some other rules about these gifts of the Holy Spirit that we are touching on. We said rule number one, they are for each one of us has to have some, one or more of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Number two, the purpose of every single gift is edifying that body, not the individual, the church as a whole. Number three rule when it comes to these gifts of the Holy Spirit, they are to be practiced in love, okay? Like if we just skip, I'm just giving you the major outlines and we'll go back and do details. If we skip to, um, actually, if we go a little bit down, verse 12, problem with the gifts is somebody who has tongues, somebody who has healing or miracles, this is like a really cool one. So the one who has miracles and commands the law of nature to obey them in Jesus' name, start bragging over the one who just, you know, have a small tiny gift like speaking in tongues. So Paul is saying from verse 12 all the way to almost the end of the chapter is that even though these gifts are seemingly from the outside, one is greater than the other, but they are to be practiced in love. So the one who has the greater gift should not brag and feel the one who has the smaller gift being despised. And the one who has the smaller gift should not feel like it's not important or it's not a big deal. Okay? And he concluded verse, uh, chapter 12 by saying this. 
Um, well, let's just, the very, last, the very last verse, he say in verse 31 of chapter 12, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. So it's like, seek the greater ones, seek the miracles, seek the healing, seek everything. But then he said, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And what is that way? Chapter 13, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but I have no love, I am nothing. And then he goes on about what is love is all about in chapter 13. So what Paul is saying here in the very end of chapter 12, the very last verse, I will show you a more excellent way. What is that more excellent way? It is not, it is not that love has replaced the gifts. It's that the gifts need to be practiced in love. Say it again. Okay, what is that more excellent way that Paul was pointing to at the very end of chapter 12? It is not that now in the 21st century, the gifts are gone and all what we need is love. Isn't that a song? All what we need is love. Okay, it's not what Paul was saying. Paul is saying the more excellent way. You can have all the gifts that you have, but if you don't have love, all your gifts are not are worthless. Gifts are meant to be practiced in love. As one body, we need to love one another. Nobody brags of what they get from the Holy Spirit. Remember, it's based on grace. You don't do anything to earn it. You can't do it in your own. Amen? So that's number one. That's the verse number one. And then uh, chapter 14, verse one, he says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gift. So pursue love and gifts. It's both. We have to practice the gifts of the Holy Spirit in love. Gifts of the Holy Spirit without love is absolutely nothing. That's what Paul, in, Paul said in chapter 13. Good? So the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there are for every believer. You need to go get your gift from God. They are for the edification of the body of the church. Number three, they are to be practiced in love. Number four, they are to be sought after. Okay? You have to seek these gifts from the Holy Spirit. We read these two verses right now. The very last one in chapter 12, he said, um, earnestly desire the higher gifts. You have to seek them. Like, so he's saying, if you don't have miracles, if you don't have healings, you have like tongues and interpretation, then you have to seek the higher ones. Go after them. Ask God for it. Seek the higher ones, the one that seems greater. You need to go after it. And then in chapter 14, verse 1, he says, pursue love, period. Right? Nope. He doesn't say that in 14... Uh, chapter 14, verse 1. It doesn't say pursue love, period. He say pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gift. Like, desire it so sincerely and go after it full-hearted. Don't just say, well, it's a gift. If God want to give it to me, he'll give it to me. I'm just going to be passively waiting. It doesn't work this way. It's a gift from God to you, but you have to ask for it. You have to tell God, I need it. And not just need it. I desperately need it. I earnestly seeking the gifts of the Holy Spirit. How does it work? How can it be a gift and you ask for it? It's like Christmas. People ask you, what do you want? And you tell them what you want for Christmas. And then you end up getting that gift in Christmas. You, you didn't earn this gift. You didn't work your way to obtain this gift. You didn't save the money for the gift. But you did ask for it. And if you didn't ask, you would have not had it. Amen? All right, so gifts are to be sought after. And number last one, gifts are to be practiced in order. We will touch base about that in, in 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to, to 33. If you go back there and we'll read it next week. Um, it's talking about how the congregation should 
pray in tongues and do the interpretation and how the prophets, if it's going to be messy and confusing, then the prophet should hold his word of prophecy and wait and not share it. Because he said that God is not an author of confusion, but he's a God of order, okay? So gifts are to be practiced in order. Never ever we see anywhere in the Bible that Paul ever discouraged speaking in tongues or interpretation or prophecy. That's never the case. We'll, we'll read it next week and go every single phrase of what he said. But we, we see no scripture whatsoever that says, Oh, throw tongues out of the window. We don't need it anymore. Or throw interpretation or any of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We don't need it anymore. We don't have to have it anymore. It's not the case. The whole point is do it. Just do it in system. Do it in order. So people will not be confused when they come and visit. Good? All right. So the rules of the gifts are as follows. These are the thumb rules. Anything outside of that. It can be God, but it might be misusing of the gifts. Okay? Number one, it is for every believer. Number two, it is for the edification of the church. Number three is to be practiced in love. Number four, it's to be sought after. Number six, um, it is to be practiced in order, okay? Now let's go and read about these gifts and try to touch base on it as much as we can. So we'll go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and we're going to read verse 8. Paul now will call out nine supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit that he's expecting that each one of the believers should have at least one or more of these. Number one, verse eight, for to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom. So that's the gift number one, words of wisdom, okay? Now, what is that? And do we have examples for it in the scripture? Yes and yes. Remember, all these gifts of God, nine of them, are supernatural gifts. If it can be done in the natural realm, it's not one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Because it says manifestation of the Spirit. These are supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God. So, words of wisdom, it does not mean that you can perceive what's going to happen, and then based on your past experience, you can predict what's going to happen. Oh, praise God, you have a word of wisdom. No, you don't. Word of wisdom is a supernatural gift that is given to you without nothing that you deserve or nothing that you can earn from God that you can actually function in it. It's absolutely pure free gift from God to you. And that's when God speaks through you supernatural and gives you wisdom in a certain situation. Do we have examples of that in the Bible? We do. Anybody knows or remember any examples? You don't have to if you can't. I'll give you a second and then I'll tell you my examples. I think the best example, Joseph in the Old Testament, when he was in prison, okay? And Pharaoh has two dreams, and he could not understand what are these two dreams. So the, the guy, the, the servant of the king, remembered that Joseph was in the prison, and he could, uh, does the interpretation of the dreams. He called Joseph in. Joseph goes before the king. Hey, king, what's up? And king tell him what's going on. I had two dreams, the king said. The first dream, I saw that there are seven uh, blonde, fat cows coming out of the river. And then after that, seven other tiny, skinny cows came out. And the skinny cows devoured the big cows. And then I see another dream. I see four heads of grain that are blonde and fat. And then skinny heads of grain comes out after that, seven of each. And the seven skinny one devoured the seven fat one. These are the two dreams I have. What is that supposed to mean? 
Joseph gives him the interpretation of the dream. He's saying, well, the two dreams are one. There will be seven years of uh, abundance. After that, seven years of famine. And then, then, words of wisdom come in. This is the supernatural wisdom of God. This is not something that man can achieve in his own wisdom. Joseph say, here is what you need to do, king. Save from the seven years that you have abundance. So this way, when the seven years of famine come through, then you can have plenty and you can give it to the people. Even Pharaoh... And his advisors, these are supposedly like the cabinet of the greatest nation in the world at that time, right? Like the U.S. president and his cabinet. When they heard the wisdom of Joseph and what he's proposing to, like, how, how to deal with the situation, they said, wow, this is good wisdom. This guy has the spirit of God. This is just impossible so that somebody can come on their own with this solution to the problem that we're going to have. All right? So the wisest people of the time looked at the wisdom of God and said, wow, this is amazing. This is a word of wisdom. And we know the story. Joseph did it, and he became the second man in Egypt. So that's a word of wisdom. It's a supernatural wisdom. It is not something you perceive based on your experience or your knowledge. This is something you don't earn, you don't deserve. It's just the Holy Spirit gives it to you. Amen? Another example, I'll give it to you real quick. In Acts 27, 31 to 32. The story goes, Paul is in the ship, the ship is in the sea, the ship about to be wrecked, and then the angel of God appears to Paul and says, don't you worry, Paul, I'm going to save you and the 276 men that were with you. So the ship is still in a disaster, everybody is getting breakdown. down. Paul got a revelation from God that everyone will be saved or be rescued from that situation. In verse 31 and 32, this is what the Bible says, Acts 27, 31 and 32. Then Paul said to the centurion and, not sure how to say this, centurion or centurion? Doesn't matter, okay. Centurion and the soldiers, unless these men, oh yeah, let me tell you what's going on. So they saw a land and they wanted to get out of the boat so they can run into, into the land. So Paul telling them, don't do that, okay. And he said, unless these men stay with the ship, not in the lifeboats, they cannot be saved. So the soldier cut the ropes, they Use the ropes to download that to, to load down the lifeboat so they can escape. The soldier heated Paul, they cut the ropes and they held the lifeboats and let it drift away. So it, it seems logical if okay, you know, we have lifeboats, we see the land over there that the, the the common sense, the wisdom of man say, jump on the lifeboat, get real quickly to the land. Paul said, No, don't do that. The ship will be wrecked. He got a word from God. The ship will be wrecked and the lifeboats will be as well, but the lives will be saved. So he said, Don't do it, just wait in the ship. So the the, the wisdom that Paul gave in that situation was not the common sense human wisdom, but it did work at the end because he had a word from God. All right, so that is the first gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a, a word of wisdom. Amen? Let's move on. So we're in, still in verse 8. For, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. So the second word is word of knowledge. Okay? What is word of knowledge? Again, it's a supernatural thing. It is not something that you can perceive based on your experience. It's when God reveals a secret of somebody's heart to you that there would have been no way that you could have known that on your own. Amen? We have plenty of examples for that in the, in the Bible. We'll just highlight a couple, okay? Let's read one story from um, 2 Kings 6. Um, 
8 to 12. Let me put that here. Flip to 2 Kings. Second Kings 6. The story goes that um, the king of Aram was actually fighting against the children of Israel. And every time he make a plan, it doesn't work out. So he didn't know what was going on. Second Kings 6, 8. Here's what it says. Um, Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such place shall be my camp. But the man of God, Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, and he said, Beware that you do not pass through that place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used Thus he used to warn him. Every single time the king of Syria say, let's camp at that place, wait for the king of Israel. Then Elijah warned him and he go check the place and Elijah is correct. Thus he used to warn him so that he said to him there more than once or twice. A couple of times, every time the king of Aram tried to camp and set an ambush for um, king of Israel, Elijah tell him, hey, they're there, don't go. Listen to verse 11. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who, uh, who of us for the king of Israel? Who's among us here is a spy? That's what he's saying. Verse 12. And one of the servants said, None, my lord. We don't have spies here. None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your own bedroom. This is words of knowledge. There would have been no way anybody would have ever perceived or known that. But God reveals the very secret things to the man of God. And based on that, everybody else will act. Word of knowledge. Amen? Another example, Acts 5, 1 to 11. There is so many. I'm just touching base here. And by the way, this week and next week, we're not covering every single thing. We're just... Very highlights here, kind of introduction, because I want to move on to something else. So this is not in-depth analysis or anything like that. We're not going to cover every possible question, but we'll get a good idea, okay? So example number two, word of knowledge, Acts 5, 1 to 11. We know the story. Um, In chapter 4, the disciples start selling their uh, positions, bring the money to the disciples, uh, two disciples, one by the name of uh, Sapphira, that's the wife, and Ananias, that's the guy. They wanted to look cool like the rest of the disciples. Hey, everybody's doing it, so let's just go with the flow because we don't want them to pick on us or think we, we don't like to sell ourselves. But they were greedy. They kept part of the money. And they bring the, the rest of it to the disciples and put it at the disciples' feet. Notice, this is a very good thing in itself. I mean, can you imagine go selling your house and giving 50% to, to our church here. Oh, wow, we'll be blessed. And it's a blessing. So they did a good thing, but they have bad intentions. They wanted to show off, and they hiding part of the money. And when they came, the guy first, Ananias, he's like, hey, here's the money that, that we sold the house for. And then Peter got a word of knowledge. He knew that he was lying. And he's like, why are you testing the Holy Spirit? And then Ananias dropped dead. A few hours later, his wife come in, and Peter, hey, did you sell the, the house with the amount of money? Yes. And he's saying another, same, same word of knowledge. It's just he's uh, working on it. 
And he's saying, why are you tempting the Spirit of God? The feet of the men who came here to bury him are outside. They'll take you and bury you. She dropped dead, and um, they went and buried her. So this is word of knowledge. There would have been no way how Peter would have known um, how much the money was sold for, but God revealed it to him. I'll take one more gift, and then we'll close. Um, I, ho- I was hoping to get more, but we'll see. Uh, verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit, okay? Now, gifts, they sometimes overlap, like we'll see that multiple times. Faith, for example, is the only one that is a gift of the Holy Spirit and a fruit of the Holy Spirit, okay? That's the only one that is common between both. It's a gift and it's a fruit, but this is not the same. When we say gift is a faith of the Holy, faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit, it's not the same to say that faith is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know the thing about fruit. You have to sow the seed, you have to wait, you have to plant it. So faith as a fruit of the Holy Spirit comes after, like you walk with God for a long time, you get to know him, you get to trust who he is and his character. This is faith as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. But faith as a gift of the Holy Spirit is, is a gift. Something you don't deserve just come to you, okay? And we'll see that multiple times about the gifts. We'll see that healing, for example, is a gift, but all believers can pray for the sick and get healed. We see again that tongues is a gift, but in the same time, all believers can pray in tongues. So we'll see that the gifts overlap and it is not like so black and white, okay? They're all overlapping. So faith is the only thing that is a gift and a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So what is faith as a gift? Faith as a gift of the Holy Spirit is when you know that you know that you know that you know that you know deep down in your heart that it's going to happen. This particular supernatural amazing thing that it's unperceivable with your own mind, you know deep down in your heart it's going to happen. Okay, this is faith. You have faith that it's going to work out. Okay, now, faith as a gift of the Holy Spirit, it is not the same as having peace in the midst of your trouble. This is not the same. Okay, I want to keep emphasizing these are all supernatural. If it ain't supernatural, it is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not what we're talking about here. It's great. It's a blessing, but it is not what we're talking about here. Example of the faith as a gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said something, and I believe that he was referring here to faith as a gift. Uh, Luke 17, 6. Look what he said. He replied, Jesus, if you have faith as small as mustard seed, you can say to that mulberry, mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Have you ever seen a tree planted in the sea? A tree floating on the sea, its root is underneath in the water, but everything in the tree is floating above. Have you ever seen that? I think in one other place, Jesus said, a mountain, go and be planted on the sea. A mountain resting on the sea or in the ocean. Have you ever said that? Have you ever seen that before? But this is the gift of faith. God gives you that faith. It's a free gift from the Holy Spirit. And obviously, you're going to act based on God's will. You're not going to just... Walk around, you know, uprooting trees and, and, and mountains and planting them everywhere else. It's not this way. You just do God's will and in the process, you encounter something supernatural or just impossible naturally or physically to be done. And then God speaks to your heart and you know that you know that you know that once you command that thing to, to happen, it will obey you. This is what Jesus said here. You have faith just as light, a little as a mustard seed. You can command the tree to be planted in the sea. It will obey you. Amen? Okay, we'll stop here because of the time.
But these are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We touch base on few. We'll try to, hopefully we'll finish next week. I doubt it, but we'll see. Let's all, um, I want to challenge you over and over again. These gifts are for all of us. It's not for me as a pastor. It's not when you go to the seminary, you can get to function in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we even like, we look at somebody who has a gift and we like, 